my mum, she said to me, she's like, it was really hard for me when you moved to Melbourne. She's like, I, it wasn't a matter of if, it was a matter of when the police were going to wake me up in the middle of the night wow. to inform me that my daughter had died. And she's like, I just assumed you'd be, you know, found in a gutter somewhere. That's, and I was like, well, why didn't you say anything? You know, <laughs> like, I didn't know that this was such a problem. And she just was like, you wouldn't listen. you two choices when it throws everything at you. You can let it swallow you whole or you take those lemons. And as the old saying goes, you turn it into sweet, delicious lemonade. And that's exactly what this podcast is all about. Welcome to Lemonade. I'm your host, Elizabeth O'Neill, and I'll be sharing the incredible stories from inspiring people who've turned the hardest times in their life, their lemons into lemonade. Because let's be real, we all want to know how they did it, the lessons they learnt, and what life is like sipping limoncello on the other side. Let's get juicing. For as long as comedian Bianca Thompson can remember, alcohol was a constant in her life. But what was once a fun way to unwind and have a good time escalated to the point she was spending half her waking life drinking and the other half thinking about the next time she could get wasted. In Bianca's mind, there was nothing wrong with her excessive alcohol consumption. She was young, fun, enjoying her life and everyone drinks. It's the Australian thing to do. There was no harm in it. Or was there? Bianca's wake-up call came when she realised the severe effect it was having on her marriage her health, and ultimately her life. Now 10 months sober and feeling happier and healthier than ever before, she's made it her life mission to help open the eyes of other young Australian men and women duped by the alcohol industry into believing we have to drink and we have to drink hard to have a good time. Bianca's experience inspired her to co-host a mini-series as part of her podcast, We Want to Be Better, about her relationship with alcohol, how it impacts every facet of our lives, along with interviews with experts in the field. Bianca is a true delight and I hope you enjoy this chat as much as I did. Here she is. Bianca, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to be chatting with you today. Thank you for having me. How is ISO life treating you? I mean, I'll probably end this in divorce, I'm assuming <laughs> at this point. Um, but no, it's not, it's not been too bad. I've just been, you know, learning new skills and yeah. Like learning new, a whole new language, obviously, and learning new crafts and all those kinds of things like that we're supposed yeah, to be well, doing. <laughs> I have no motivation to do anything. And I kept seeing people online, you know, using the time constructively. And I downloaded this thing called masterclass. I don't know. It's like this website thing. And yep. there's all these like professional people giving you lessons so I've done like Bobby Brown teaches me makeup and oh like my gosh that's really cool confidence. yeah yeah it's really good so I've yeah I've been doing that it's been fun oh I'm gonna check that out because I'm like I'm in between between wanting to like better myself but also not wanting to just be like when I come out of here I am going to be I don't know someone completely different <laughs> yeah I think um I've always thought of myself as an introverted extrovert as in you know I'm very extroverted but I like to spend a lot of time at home and I don't really care much for socializing but mm. I really need that social interaction I've mm. called my mom like every day yeah before 
Actually, that describes me exactly as well. Like craving social interaction, but every now and then being like, I just want to stay at home and not leave for days. So yeah, yeah no, I feel that. I feel that. <laughs> um, now with all of my guests, I'd love to get a feel for what life was like for you growing up. Can you talk mm-hmm. to me about your childhood? Sure. So I had a pretty interesting childhood, um, which at the time seemed totally normal because of course it would, it's the only life that you've known. And it's not until I grew up that everyone was like, okay, that's very interesting. But, um, my mum was Miss Yugoslavia and my dad was a Croatian pop star. Um, oh my God. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. didn't think you were going to say that. <laughs> yeah. So I had, um, yeah, my dad was in Eurovision and like eighties Eurovision when it was like peak Eurovision. That is so um, cool. Yeah. So I had a very interesting childhood, but, uh, my dad, I grew up in Australia and my dad lived in Croatia. So I was a child of divorce. So, you know, I, for me, having a dad was always such a, having a dad in the house was a really weird thing to me. You know, I got to school and my friends would say, Oh, my dad's picking me up from school. And I would be like, what, isn't your dad a Croatian pop star living in Croatia? Like what? Um, But yeah, no, I had a very different upbringing, I think, to many other people. Yeah. Wow. Absolutely. That, that must just, how did that, I guess, change the way that, well, I think what is really interesting that you are in the entertainment industry and that is a passion of yours. Did that come from them, do you think, and that culture growing up with it? Yeah, hundred percent. I definitely get my talent from my dad. Um, he, uh, yeah, I mean, growing up, I just wanted to be a, a pop star. That's all I wanted. You know, I thought, yeah, that was my dream just to be a sellout, let sellout stadium tour. Yeah. And that was my dream. So yeah, that didn't happen obviously, <laughs> but it was always, I always just assumed that I was going to grow up and be this big star. So I, <laughs> I feel like that's exactly, I used to think things like that as well. And you just, I'd perform concerts in like my bedroom and be like, this is so close to being the next thing. <laughs> I used to sing Celine Dion all by myself. That was my favourite diva song that I would sing to my teddies. And then my mum would burst in the room and I would pretend I was doing nothing because I didn't want to be caught because I was like, I'm practising. You can and wait until it's done. <laughs> yeah, she obviously would have heard and I just thought, no, this is my secret. But, yeah, I, I was such a little show-off as a kid, honestly. I love that. So that obviously now I, my ne- my question was, did you know you always wanted to be in the entertainment industry? So yes. <laughs> yes. I didn't, didn't think I would want to do comedy mm. necessarily. I think I, I had always wanted to be like an actress or, you know, a singer. Um, but those things take um, talent and <laughs> skill. And, um, and a lot of time. A lot of time. <laughs> yeah. Time yeah, I just, when I realized how much time and like you had to practice every day, I was like, Oh, can't I just be famous? Yeah. Yeah. That's it. So, um, luckily I get to do comedy, which is really great. I think I learned about you know, age 13, maybe that I was funny and, yeah, it's really cool to get to do that because I really enjoy it. So yeah, yeah, it's different to what I thought I would do, but I really enjoy it. It's that same rush though of being on stage and people watching and entertaining. Have you ever, I feel like this is always the question comedians get asked, but have you ever got on stage and just be like, oh, this is not going the way that I wanted it to go? Um, No. Well, that's but- good. Yeah. Yeah. No, nice. yeah. Actually, it's easier to be on stage and have nothing, I think, because I'm very, it's, 
I'm quick witted. So I, I just, I'm very reactionary, but it's more when I have to sit down and write comedy that I struggle more, to be honest. So yeah, yeah. we <laughs> had this huge show that we were doing. We we're doing a show for the comedy festival and Annie and I spent months writing it and it was really difficult because it was our first proper stand up show. Uh, and then Obviously, it got cancelled because of... Oh, no. So that was the one that was supposed to be now <laughs> Yeah, that we would have been doing that now, yeah. Oh, so that was a shame. But so much personal sacrifice right now, isn't it? Stuff that people... All everyone's hopes and dreams for 2020 just feels like it's just getting further and further away. I know. I just keep thinking, well, you know, this is just a test year and next year. So I, I turn 30 next month and I'm like, no, I don't actually. So do 30. I. Yeah. <laughs> that is so, actually, I literally just said to someone yesterday, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to redo turning 30 next year. This year's absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not yeah. fair to turn 30, right? Now. <laughs> no, I refuse. No, I refuse as well. Now you started a podcast with your best friend, Annie, a few years ago yes. in 2017 called We Want to Be Better. And, and you mentioned her before that that's who you do the comedy show with as well. And it's now in its ninth season I think that's right crazy it's insane how rewarding has that process been for you um yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah oh it's been good it's like you find you it's it's tough at first yeah I mean you would know right Mm. you know you start off and you have this idea and you listen back to those first episodes and it's so cringeworthy and you just think oh my god um I was curious if you've listened back to the first ones and whether you can see any kind of growth I refuse to Um, I haven't listened to them in a while but there was I did hear a snippet recently and I just thought oh god that's so awful to listen to um but no, it's been a, it has been a rewarding experience. I've learned a lot mm. and yeah, it's it's enjoyable for sure. Yeah. And you then launched a component of the podcast just this year called the Alcohol Mini Series where you both yeah. discuss your relationships with alcohol and specifically mm. the process in removing it from both of your lives and you both come to it from very different perspectives and very different relationships with alcohol as well. Um, and I love how you also speak to a range of experts on the topic too. So we may as well start from the start with that. Um, what was your relationship like with alcohol growing up? Awful, terrible. I just, it was everything to me. And I really, uh, just relied on it for everything. It was just, I was always thinking about it. It just, it was, it was part of my identity. I've said that before on, I've said on the podcast, but yeah, it was my identity. It sort of gave me to be this like crazy outgoing gal, but Mm. ironically, I already was that. And I was just adding alcohol to the mix and I enjoyed it. And it just really took over my life. If I'm being honest. Yeah. How did it make you feel when you were drinking? Uh, I don't know. You know, towards the end, terrible, but (laughs) from the beginning, it was when we started doing the podcast, I had to sort of sit down and it wasn't really until I fit, finished doing the podcast that I sort of realized that I had a problem with alcohol. Right. Uh, even doing though the, I was sober. Doing the yeah, mini doing, series, you mean? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Because, yeah. yeah. you know, I obviously quit alcohol. I knew that I had to quit it. It was terrible. But it wasn't until I went back and had the, you know, hindsight and mm-hmm. was reflecting on my relationship because every alcoholic or every big drinker will say, you know, that's why I fell in love with it. And I couldn't really put my finger on why I fell in love with it. I thought, oh, you know, it's just fun. But I think going back 
and really assessing my relationship with it, there were sort of two things that stood out to me. So I think the first was that I'd grown up with it everywhere. Like mm-hmm. Croatians are huge drinkers and it had, it was just sort of a part of life. And so it had always been very celebrated in my life. Um, and that's what I'd seen the adults do. So it was sort of just like I was destined to do that. So that was one thing. And then I guess the second thing was I was quite for as outgoing as I was and I would get on stage and dance in front of hundreds of people or sing or do whatever I had to do when I was a kid. I was not shy, but when it came to boys, I was very shy. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, it sort of released my inhibitions a bit uh, to kiss boys and talk to boys. And so I think I really liked it for that reason that it allowed me to do the things I thought I was meant to be doing, you know, as a teenager. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That makes so much sense. Yeah. Mm. (laughs) I just was not good at talking to boys. Like I, it wasn't, yeah, it was just such, I was, I was quote unquote frigid. I hate to use that term, but that's what I was. And everyone else is hooking up with guys. And I'm like this 15 year old that doesn't know what to do. Mm. Alcohol was a way to let me do it. And then I just relied on it. I couldn't kind of couldn't stop drinking. When you reflect on your, when it was starting to get bad, what would happen from the moment, I guess, you know, you had that first taste of alcohol. Was it all over? It was all over. Yeah. Mm. It was before it even began, you know, I would pre-anticipate the weekend and just know it was going to be a mess and just knew that I was going to get absolutely shit faced, would maybe lose my wallet. You know, I had, if I got home and I hadn't lost a shoe, um, then that was a good night. Like, you know, good work. You were really responsible last night, Bianca, because mm. you didn't lose your shoes. Yeah. It was just, um, I was a mess really actually. Yeah. No one probably, I don't know, but whether anyone questioned it because alcohol is just so ingrained in as you said, Croatian culture, but Australian society, you know, you drink and it's the cool thing to do. And if you're not drinking, everyone's like, what the hell? Why, why are you here bringing down our vibe? Did you, yeah. ever, did you ever consider during this time that your relationship was problematic with it? Or did it just feel so normal, I guess? It felt so normal. You know, there were people that I guess when you are in that situation, you're going to look for people that also are big drinkers. So, you know, I guess I also used to be a smoker. I would probably want to hang out with other smokers because then I'm not going to feel judged for smoking. I don't really want to be friends with someone that hates cigarettes because I'm never going to want to smoke in front of them. And so it's the same for drinking. I would seek out people that were big drinkers and big drinkers think that they have a really good friend when they're another drinker because, you know, you bond over drinking. Yeah. So all of my best friends were pretty much big booze hounds as well. So it never really stood out to me that I had a big problem because everyone in my life was also doing it. How bad did it get? Were there, are there any moments that stick out in your mind that are like, that was a real, that was a bad one? <laughs> yeah, that. I think when I first moved to Melbourne, it got really bad. Like it was bad before when I lived in Perth, but it definitely took a new edge when I moved to Melbourne because one, I lived alone and that was not good. I was left to my own devices and I was, yeah, drinking about a bottle of Bacardi a night. And I was really, yeah, I was really, um, I was sad. Like I remember because alcohol is a depressant, it makes sense now. But I remember I was going through a breakup and I was like crying in the bathroom and drinking. And I just said to myself, you know, remember this moment, remember how much this hurts, 
And that's why I remember that moment stands out because I made myself, you know, really think yeah. about it. But yeah, there were definitely other moments like that, but that one stands out just, you know, crying on the floor of my bath, um, you know, drunk. Yeah, that was... Yeah, mm. and probably that's feeling a, a com the feeling of, of being alone would have been just compounded through that as well Absolutely. i have heard that though interestingly that you grew up in perth and then you came to melbourne and it got worse i've heard a lot of people uh their drinking really um skyrocketed when they got to melbourne it was felt more than <laughs> anywhere else for some reason i don't maybe oh. because the weather's not as good as well so most of the time you know no one's getting up on a Sunday morning and going for a swim because most of the time it's freaking cold. So I don't know. Yeah, I feel and like that might play some part. I think there's a few things. One, I mean, from in Perth, you know, a Sunday sesh was a really fun time, but all the places close at 10. Yeah. So you have to go home at 10. But in Melbourne, they close at 3 a.m. So well, there's there is 24 never... hour clubs. Yeah, exactly. 24 hour nightclub. Do you know I lost my mind when I heard about that? Yeah. I thought that's, that can't be right. I was like, how do they clean the place? And then someone was like, they don't. <laughs> like, oh. They don't. Um, but yeah, I, there was that. And as well, I remember when I was moving to Melbourne one of my friends had just come back and she was like, oh, you're going to love it. Melbourne is so good for drug experimentation. And I was like, you know, <laughs> that's I what they do- have on the bumper. That's what they have <laughs> as the slogan for welcome to Melbourne. It's so it. good for drug and experimentation. I was so confused. I was like, drugs, like, aren't we just going to eat dumplings? Like, yeah. what do you mean? Um, but yeah. And then I got here and it, and it made sense to me because the party scene here is much bigger than it is anywhere right. else. Like it's a big city. There's more places to go. And it's a part of the Melbourne culture that you, you know, go and find those hole in the wall bars and, you know, you drink your fancy cocktails and everywhere's got a signature drink. And it's very much a part of what you do here. Mm. You said, you mentioned that you were drinking, there was times you'd be drinking a bottle of spirits mm. a night. Would you be able to put a figure on how much you were drinking in a week? <laughs> yeah, my, I remember my doctor said to me, you know, they would, they always ask that question, how many yes. alcohol units do you drink? And I'm like, well, how long is a piece of string? It really depends. I have no idea. It was, I mean, I would never buy alcohol in a bottle, as in I would never buy wine in a bottle because it just wasn't enough. Like it had to be a yeah, green right. sack. And, and sometimes a green sack would run out in a day. Absolutely. So there were times when I would go to get another drink from like a fresh sack that I had that day and it would be empty and I would be so confused. Like, did I seriously just drink, you know, two liters of wine that easily? But yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, there was, there's no way to put a figure on it, but a lot, a, an absolute lot. When you Your think tolerance. of how much a standard drink is, yeah, my tolerance yeah. is very high. Abs- yeah, very- yeah. So you would feel like you could just keep going, I guess, as well. Uh, yeah. um, what was the impact on during this time on, I'm not sure if you were married yet at that point to your husband Palmer, on your friends, on your family, on career and health. Was there any, were, were you noticing it was impacting those areas of your life? Definitely impacted my family. Um, my mum, she said to me, you know, after the uh, alcohol mini series came out, <clears throat> she said, you know, it, She's like, it was really hard for me when you moved to Melbourne. She's like, I, it wasn't a matter of if, it was a matter of when the police were going to wake me up in the middle of the night to inform me that my daughter had died. And she's like, I just assumed you'd be, you know, found in a gutter somewhere. That's 
and I was like, well, why didn't you say anything? You know, like, I didn't know that this was such a problem. And she just was like, you wouldn't listen. So it definitely had a real impact on my relationship with my mom. Um, my friends didn't really have an impact because as I said, you know, I did, uh, find big drinkers to, to hang out with. Although again, after it was sort of funny cause I did get sober first on my own. It, it was my decision. I went and did it. You know, no one gave me an intervention, but after afterwards, everyone sort of decided, well, we kind of still want that opportunity to give you that intervention. So this is all the things that we thought about you, <laughs> you know, and I found out that people were talking about me behind my back saying, you know, we're really worried about B, like she has a problem, like what should we do? Uh, so yeah, I guess in hindsight, everyone sort of de- definitely was worried about me, but it never struck me. Was it because of, obviously because of your drinking, but did, was, did that ever serve as a gateway to doing other things or other drugs or behaving in ways that just felt so alien to who you really are? Yeah, absolutely. Like I really didn't do drugs. Like alcohol was enough for me. Um, but then, as I said, I moved to Melbourne and that, again, the drug experimentation. So yeah, I did get into some pretty uh, hardcore drugs. Um, but alcohol was always the precursor to it, yeah. you know, like I, I spent so long again, it wasn't until we did the alcohol mini series that I sort of reflected and was like, Oh wow. Alcohol was what was responsible for that. It wasn't me that, that did that. I, I wouldn't do that. And I don't like doing that. And I carried so much shame for so long for some of the things that I had done, but I realized that it wasn't actually me. It's not reflective of who I am. And I'm not, you know, someone that, I mean, not, no one should be defined by their addiction. Absolutely. And it takes a really long time to, to realize that. So, uh, yeah, I was definitely carrying some shame for a really long time. Do you find speaking about it, how you are now helps deal with that shame being really open and vulnerable? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, I was very, uh, wary of talking about it. Um, I know in the first episode of the mini series, I'm just crying the entire time. Mm. <laughs> and the beginning monologue, I was, you know, writing it. And every time I would get to the drug part and speaking about my husband, I would cry. Yeah. And, and I didn't realize how much it, I was holding on to that until I had to say it out loud. And the more I do talk about it, absolutely. It just heals me a little bit more. And now I can talk about it quite freely. And I, I definitely, I wouldn't say I'm 100% healed, but I'm definitely getting there. Yeah. yeah. And doing everything you're doing, I imagine is helping so much as well, because you do talk on the podcast as well about how much you hated, you hated the drunk version of you. Like that is just, it wasn't even like you'd wake up and they're like, oh my gosh, it was so funny. You would be so, again, ashamed and mortified. Can you tell me about her? Who did you become? She was the fucking worst. You know, I mean, I don't know if anyone actually likes their drunk self, right? Like, I don't know that anyone does. But for me, you know, some some people probably would see their drunk self maybe once or twice a month. But for me, it was half the time. So half the time I'm this drunk person and half the time I'm this sober person. And she did just shitty things, you know. Like, yeah, she would take drugs. She would sleep with people that I literally don't know who they are, you know, waking up in random places and then having to figure out who this person is and how, how do I get home? What even happened last night? Um, she would drink drive, which is terrible. Um, she was just an absolute mess. She couldn't control her mouth. Like I would just say 
terrible things, things that aren't reflective of who I am. And yeah, I just felt like I was constantly cleaning up her messes. Um, and unfortunately, yeah, like it was like drunk Bianca was this caged animal and I was the only person that had the key. And yeah, I would willingly let her out. All yeah. The time. Come out. So here we are. Cool. Let's go. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I just, yeah, definitely regret, uh, <laughs> a lot of the things that she did but yeah I, I had to carry the burden of shame mm. for her so yeah you did touch on before as well and I'd love to ask you about it how you invited your husband Palmer on the podcast to hear his point of view about how your drinking impacted him and you said and you know you did say that that's what would make you break down and it was so difficult to listen to like really it was incredible to listen to because it was so raw um but you know you could just I don't even know you and I could hear the pain just radiating out radiating yeah. out of your voice how hard was that to hear him talk like that awful <laughs> awful uh, Palmer is very soft-spoken as you would probably have heard on the podcast uh he's very diplomatic and he's a very um very like I'm I'm a very dramatic person and you know I say whatever I'm thinking but he thinks before he speaks and so uh that was sort of the first time that he had really verbalized all of that to me and um he actually we kind of tricked him. He didn't know that we were, well, he knew he was recording it, but he didn't know what was going to be on the podcast. Cause he was like, he'd said something and then he was like, Oh, this isn't going to be, you know, on the show, is it? And we were like, no, 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 it's not. We're just sort of practicing, you know, what you would say. And so he just let everything out that he had probably been holding on to for wow. the past three and a half years, not thinking anyone was going to hear it. And then afterwards I said to him, I'm going to edit it and take out the things that you don't want heard. And if it's okay, like you listen to it and if it's okay, we'll, we'll say it again. Um, we'll, we'll put it out and we'll like put it on the podcast if you're okay with that. And he was like, yeah, oh, I don't know. And then I said, well, you'd have to say it all again. You know, you'd have to re-record it and think about what you're saying. And he was like, you know what, just go with it because it was from the heart. Absolutely. And, yeah. And it was hard to hear. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it's hard because I had to go through all of this months after I was sober. So it's like, I've fixed it. I'm not drunk anymore. I'm not that person anymore. But then all of these like old graves are getting dragged up and mm. it was really difficult to hear, but I'm glad that it all came out. Um, yeah, it definitely is still hard. You know, sometimes he'll say things to me about something that I did when I was drunk. And I'm like, can you just like, let's never do that again because it does really hurt me. And I understand it might not be fair on him because, you know, I've hurt him and he probably wants to tell me, but I'm like, just be careful because <laughs> it really does upset me. So that's really, really interesting to hear you say that from your perspective because, um, and I, my ex has given me permission to be able to talk about this. He has, he has addic addiction issues and, whenever I would bring up things that happened, he would block his ears and couldn't tolerate hearing anything he would have said or done or did. And like, it's almost like you could see him just, I don't know, curling back in within himself. Um, is that how it would feel for you? Like, it's just something that you just can't tolerate hearing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, particularly when I was still drinking, I wouldn't want to hear anything. Yes. No, I, I would, I was so, um, the way that alcohol affects your memory, the more you drink, 
um, the less you remember because I drank so much. And so often after about two glasses of wine, my memory was quite hazy. And I used to say, I was so grateful for that because at least I don't have to remember all the shit that I did, but people would bring it up the next day. And I'd be like, shut the fuck up. I don't want to hear it. Like, I don't want to know. And I had this very much like, don't, don't tell me anything policy. And I think people uh, probably would have been better if I'd heard it because I might have stopped doing what I was doing. Um, but yeah, absolutely. I never wanted to hear any of it because it's like, I can't stop doing it. So please don't tell me about how shit I am when I do it. So I completely get where your partner is coming from, from yeah. that. Yeah. But now that it's over and I know that I don't do that, I still don't want to hear it because it sucks. It just always sucks knowing that you hurt the people that you love. Absolutely. And there's nothing you can do now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you then decided, you know, I do want to get to how you became, you made that decision to become sober, but was there a tipping point? Was it that it just got so bad? Did it get really bad? And you thought I have to, I have to stop or I have to take a break or I think it was dry. You did dry July as well. Like how did that all come together? (laughs) I mean, I did dry July and then halfway through, I got diagnosed with psoriatic arthritis and put on this medication where I was you know, not allowed to drink anymore. Well, I was allowed to drink, but it was like, I don't know, maximum of three and only twice a week. So to me, that was nothing. And I was just, you know, my life was over. So I decided to quit doing dry July halfway through because I was like, well, I've made it to 11 days. (laughs) I've done really well. And, you know, I just, I need to get loaded for the next couple of days until I start this medication. So yeah, I had like one last hurrah. And then I I started, you know, these these meds. Um, And it was at that time that you know, Palmer, my husband said, I'm really glad that you've been put on this medication, which I, you know, obviously lost my shit. Cause I'm like, what the fuck? How, how dare you? And he was like, well, looking at it from my perspective, I never have to deal with your drunk self again. Like you don't understand how much that's hurt me. And I was like, well, I'm not an alcoholic, which is something that all alcoholics hide Mm -hmm. behind is this thing of, well, I'm not an alcoholic because I don't drink in the morning or I'm not an alcoholic because I don't drink before work. There's always a reason as to why they're not an alcoholic. And I was like, well, I'm not an alcoholic. And he's, he was like, I don't think you are, but I think you're a really, really bad binge drinker. And this is how it affects me. And I just crumbled. I was mortified because to hear, it was the truth. It was like the flat truth. And it was the way that I could hear. I heard the absolute truth come out of his mouth. And I realized how bad my behavior had been, particularly for him and how much shit he has put up for me. So I was relieved at that point that I was put on this medication because it meant that it would stop me from drinking to excess. Um, And for a really long time, like a really long time, for a few months, I was on the medication and I was drinking moderately. I was drinking in moderation for the first time in my life. So yeah, I would go to the bar the bar and I'd have only two drinks and then I'd call it a night. And I was so over the moon by this, you know, like, I think, I think a lot of drinkers do go through this because when you realize you have a problem, you decide that you want to stop drinking a bit, you know, you're going to control it. You're going to not drink to excess and you think that you can moderate and it's moderation is substantially harder than just drinking to excess, honestly. And so I was doing it for a while and I was doing really well with it, but you know, then I got taken off the medication and I thought, I really did think in my heart of hearts that the the medication wasn't what was stopping me from drinking. I I was not drinking because I really didn't want to, um, drinking to excess, I should say. I was definitely still drinking, but not that much. And then it just, yeah, crept, crept back up. And that's when I, that's when I was like, I have to, 
I have to stop this because I, it was, it's bad enough to wake up in that pool of shame after a big night of drinking when you like drinking, but mm. when you know that it, it hurts your partner and you know that it's not something you want to do anymore, the shame is so much harder because you can't believe you've done it to yourself again. And the people around you as well, I imagine too. And the people around you. Yeah, that's it. That started the process of becoming sober. Was it difficult in those early periods just to, like, did you just go cold turkey stop? Oh yeah, absolutely. I just, I just stopped. So I had, I had gone, um, I had started noticing in, in that, there was about a year from the, from when Palmer told me that drinking was a problem and I tried to moderate um, that was about a year. And in that year, I was very wary of my relationship with alcohol. Like it was, I was starting to notice how much it affected me and how much it made me miserable, how much, you know, if I had a time with a girlfriend where we were sober and I had a really good time, I would really focus on that and be like, wow. Okay. So you can have fun with your friends sober. You know, I started really assessing it and really realizing how miserable I was, but I just couldn't stop. And then, um, I had a weekend with Annie and we went to Ballarat and I went to Sovereign Hill and had the best day and I didn't, didn't touch alcohol at all. And then the next day, you know, I got home from Ballarat and I was just so happy, just genuine happiness. And I thought, okay, so I know that I don't want to drink anymore. Um, but then the next day I went out and got absolutely shit faced. And it was that next day after that. And I think it was just having the two days side by side of one another, one where I was sober and happy. And then one where I was drunk and miserable. I woke up and I just said, absolutely not. Like this has to stop. Um, but yeah, I still thought I could moderate. <laughs> um, but I'd seen this book about, you know, controlling alcohol. And I thought that would, I'd be able to still drink. But in the book, you know, after I read it in two days and I never touched alcohol again. And wow. Did it, was that the main form of help for you or did you seek it. any yeah. external help as well? That was it. That was it, yeah. That's incredible willpower to do that. Like that take, can take people yeah. years of therapy to yeah, do that. I mean, that. I, had, I had always assumed I would end up in AA. That I kind of just assumed that that was going to happen. It's kind of like you, you see it happening. You I don't know, you can see it coming and then you think, no, well, I'll stop it before it gets that bad. Because yeah. you do think, you do have this sense that alcoholics just don't have willpower and that you're different and that you wouldn't let it get that bad. You know, I did think like I'm not an alcoholic because I don't drink for sadness. Like I drink to celebrate, not to drown my mm. sorrows, you know, like I'm different. But then, you know, I would hear an alcoholic talk about recovery or something and it, it terrified me. It absolutely terrified me. But I, in the back of my mind, I would think, fuck, that is going to be me, right? Like I'm going to end up there. And it, you're just, you're balancing this thing of, I know I'm going to need help one day, but not just yet. It's not that bad. So I'll just keep going for a little bit longer and then I'll stop it when it gets that bad. But yeah, it's just this really difficult thing. So yeah. Alcoholics Anonymous terrified me. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to spend the rest of my life not wanting alcohol or not, not having alcohol, but wanting it. That sounded so miserable. So I was just like, I'm just going to keep going until it gets to that point. And then thankfully this book gave me an out. It gave wow. me literal freedom from it. And yeah, I, I mean, I've recommended the book to so many people and so many people have said like, it really changed my life. You know, it's, it's a good method. I mean, it's definitely not for everyone. I understand that. And there's, you know, everyone's recovery is different and everyone 
will experience things differently. But for me, it worked so well. And I, I don't even think about alcohol anymore. Yeah, I was really interested in that, whether it's now something that do you ever think about drinking now or are you ever tempted at a party when everyone's drinking to grab a glass of champagne or something? No, no. I don't, uh, I understand that some people in recovery probably do you know like you always see in movies like someone that is a recovering alcoholic and they're going through a rough time and then they'll go to a bar and they just order the drink and just to sit and stare at it and you know it takes every bit of like their willpower not to drink it and that's what I always thought that I would end up being you know this person that was just miserable that couldn't drink but wanted to um and the fact that I don't have that I'm so happy about that and there's no there's no desire for it for alcohol because I know when I think about it, I don't think about any good times. I think about the shit times and how miserable I was because it really was misery. I, I don't know how to explain how yeah. awful it is not wanting to drink something but just drinking it anyway. Like it, you're just a literal slave to this liquid. It's awful. And is it a fact that you know that once you have one, that there's not just one, you know, it'll, it'll escalate? Yeah, I think, um, yeah. I mean, when I was drinking, absolutely. There was no such thing as one. Um, now though, I don't think that if I was to drink, I would have more than one. I mean, I don't know. I, like I have drinking dreams and they're terrifying and in those dreams I will yeah I have a sip and then I end up getting like loaded and in my head I'm like no 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 stop that and then I wake up and I'm so relieved it was a dream so I know that I don't want to do it because if I if I woke up and was like damn that seems like a lot of fun wish I could do that and just have one night um then maybe I would be a bit worried but the fact that I wake up and I'm like absolutely not that was horrifying I think just like re um Reinforces, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Much, yeah. You said how you were the life of the party, and everyone wanted you at all their functions, and and you know if you weren't drinking, everyone would be really annoyed at you, and like and pressure you to be this image of what they wanted you to be, and then in turn you then felt this pressure to live up to who they wanted you to be as well. Was it <laughs> difficult to divorce, I guess, from that identity to transitioning into the person that you wanted to be? Um, I think, yeah. So I was really, I hated being the party girl, to be honest. Like I, I actually, it was more of a hindrance on my social life because I knew that I had to be the party girl if I was going somewhere. I couldn't go and not drink. So I would just not go if I, if I was going to a party and I just wasn't in the mood for it. Cause I really didn't want to get like wasted that night. I just would avoid the thing entirely instead of just going and showing up and being myself without drinking. Cause I knew if I got there, I couldn't not drink anyway. So I would just avoid going at all. And then, you know, <clears throat> now, um, I definitely go out more because I'm not afraid of, the consequences. I'm not afraid of being myself. I think um, we did an interview with Fiona O'Loughlin and she said it so perfectly. She said, I was giving alcohol far too much credit um, for how funny I was or, you know, how fun I am. And I'm like, absolutely. I realized that I don't have to be that person. And that's, and that is, you know, I kept my sobriety a secret for my friends and would go to the parties and drink non-alcoholic wine or drink non-alcoholic beer so that no one knew because it was a learning curve for me to learn that I could go to parties and I didn't have to drink. 
And then also it then gave my friends the chance that when I said, hey, I've been sober for three months and you didn't even know, then they would know, well, nothing's really changed because we didn't even realize that you weren't drunk this whole time because you're actually just very out there and crazy as it is. You don't really need the alcohol. And the great thing is Palmer, my husband is also sober. So, you know, we go to parties and then we'll come home and we're like, oh, like what, what ridiculous drunk thing did someone say to you? And then we make a game out of it. It's really, it's really good, actually. It's a really fun game. Oh, I love that. that is, and that must be really that must be the, the difference having someone that doesn't want to partake in that activity as well it must be very difficult for people who have someone who still want to engage in that behavior and don't see it as an issue I can imagine that would be very. oh difficult. yeah I think it would be really hard if Palmer was also a drinker and I got sober and he didn't like he was never a big drinker which is why my alcoholism really stood out because he didn't drink so you know he was fully present when I wasn't so that's why it really stood out and I guess yeah it would have been it'd be really hard and that is a thing that a lot of people do deal with is mm. you know they tend to as I said, like drinkers will get with drinkers. Same with smokers, right? Like I used to, when I was going on Tinder dates, I would be like, well, I don't want to date a guy that's a smoker because then I'll never quit. But at the same time, I don't want to date a non-smoker because then I can't smoke around him. So I'm like, I'll just, it's hard. I don't know what to do. So yeah, I was, uh, yeah, I can understand why someone that's a big drinker would marry a big drinker. And if one of them wants to get out of that, it would be really fucking tough. How long have you been sober now for? Um, Oh, it will almost 10 months. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And what's changed in your life now, now that you don't drink? Like, what does it look like now? Oh, I'm definitely one, I'm much more happier. And two, um, I just have one, I have more time as well. My skin is fabulous. I must say it's glowing. I can see you in this. (laughs) It is actually glowing. I've been thinking that during this chat. Um, And what else? I mean, I, I didn't, I've always seen myself as this, um, like child really. Like I, I didn't, I couldn't cope with the responsibility because like, I'm just this hopeless drinker. And to realize that I'm absolutely not that person. I am a very competent woman and I can do anything that I put my mind to and I'm really smart and I'm a confident person and I'm a kind person. I learned all of this stuff about myself that I didn't know before because when I was drunk, I would say dumb shit that was not reflective of who I am. But, you know, if you say something nasty to a friend while you're drunk, then oh, am I a mean person? No, I'm not. I don't think mean things. I'm a good person. But It was just all this cloud of shit that I was dealing with all the time. So yeah, my life is substantially better. I, there, I've gained so much from being sober. I think so many people often think, you know, going sober, what am I going to lose? You know, like all the parties and all the drinking. And it's like, no, it's what you're going to gain. And there's just so much. I love that so much. And do you have your Sunday mornings back and everything as well. Every morning. I I can't believe how much time I have. Like when I first got sober, I was so like, it was like, I just had all this time and I really actually pushed myself too far. So I had netball on Monday nights and then I did pole dancing three nights a week. And then one night a week, I started learning Croatian and, you know, I was working three jobs and then I was like, okay, you need to take a step back because you're going to like overexert yourself. Um, but I was just so passionate on just doing as much as I could because I felt like I had just woken up 
from being asleep for 10 years. You know, it was like, I just got my life back for the first time. Um, but yeah, now I definitely just focus on my passions and yeah, I, I get Sunday mornings, Saturday mornings, <laughs> Monday morning, like every morning, there's just so much time in a day. I didn't know how much time. <laughs> so much time in a day so much time now why was it important you know through your mini series to turn your experience around to help other people so the the book that i read which is this naked mind by annie grace um at the very end she says you know pay it forward and you know try and help other people you know now that you've learned this method like help others and i was like well i have a platform and you know, I would love to help other people because I, I didn't have that, like I didn't have anyone that I looked up to or even just that I followed on Instagram or just like no one ever mentioned sobriety. Mm. And I thought I could, I could do that. I didn't, I mean, Annie and I thought about, you know, as soon as I told Annie why I was sober and everything, she was like, oh Jesus, we need to put this into a podcast. But I was like, yeah, absolutely. We should definitely talk about it. Cause I had, I had spoken so many times on our podcast about my struggle with alcohol. And I was like, I finally did it. I overcame it. And she was like, no, we have to do a series on it. Like it's so in depth. And I was like, well, if we're going to do it, then I want to tackle every aspect. I want everyone like there has, there's so much that alcohol touches And then as well, it's one thing to be like, you know, just don't drink, you know, you can't do that. So we had to go through everything. And yeah, I I mean, I, I was so terrified at first about going sober and revealing that to everyone because I was so worried that people only liked me because I drank. I mean, that was very early days in my sobriety that I had still had that thought. And then when I did announce it, every, I had so many people message me and just say, how did you do this? I feel the same way. Yeah. I want to cut back too. And I realized, okay, we really need to talk about this because people are hurting. I'm not, you know, you do find out that you're not alone, but the amount of people that have messaged me since doing this podcast that have said, you've changed my life, like absolutely changed my life. I don't drink anymore and I've never been happier. Or I'm, I'm only five days in, but this time it's different because I, I've educated myself. Like, thank you. And it's just absolutely so worth it. Oh, that gives me goosebumps. That's awesome. That must be the best feeling. That must yeah. all kind of feel worth it in a weird kind of way. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, people, yeah, I, I definitely have been through hell and back and it's good to be able to help others. And I think as well, like we, I think a lot of people actually do want to drink less. I think that they are looking for that permission almost to do that. But we live in a culture where we're not allowed to just quit. We're not allowed to just stop. We all have to drink all the time. We're going to get loaded. And then just to have someone say, hey, I don't, I don't drink and this is why. Or, you know, I felt really shit the next day, so I didn't want to drink. And you can do that too. I think people really appreciate and respond to that. And they kind of think, yeah, same. I, I kind of don't want to do it either. Yeah. What do you hope people getting to the end of your mini series, what do you hope they get out of it? I just, you know, we had some, we did some Q&A and someone said, you know, I, I used to really enjoy having a glass of wine and now I feel really guilty about it. And, you know, should I not be drinking too? And, you know, I'm stressing out. And I was like, kind of what we wanted to go for. It's not so much that we don't want people to drink. Like everyone can do whatever they want, obviously, but we've been systematically lied to about alcohol. And all I wanted to do was draw 
pull the wool over people's eyes, I guess, so that you can make an informed decision. Because my entire life, I was not educated on alcohol. There was so much I didn't know about it. And it became so clear to me when I learned about it that, oh, this is, this makes sense now. No wonder you're feeling shit because alcohol creates a storm in your brain and it's a depressant and, you know, oh, it, there's so much about it that's terrible, but I didn't know any of it because I, all I had learned was it's so much fun and it makes everything more interesting. Um, so it was more just, you know, I, I just want people to make a conscious decision. It's like when someone smokes, they're making that choice. They know, we all know how bad it is, but yeah. they're making that choice to do it, even though they, they know the risks involved. People don't have that with alcohol because we don't know the risks. So I just want people to be aware of it. And then at least, you know, if you want to drink, then you're doing it because you really actually want it and you're making that informed choice, I guess. Yeah. What do you think should be done to support people who do, who do have problematic attitudes towards drinking? Oh, it's such a complex question. Um, I think it's hard. It's really hard. I mean, I've had people in my life that have been drinkers and I think, I definitely think we need to understand addiction better. Mm-hmm. I used to just think this person did it because they don't give a fuck and they don't love me and they don't love our family and they don't love, you know, they, they're just doing it because they um, hate us and all they care about is alcohol. And, you know, ironically, I would be, you know, like yelling at this person while they're drink, like while they're drunk, I'd get really angry at them and be like, oh, blah, blah, blah. So stupid. Um, because one, that person can't remember it. And two, they're drunk at the time. So I think we need to just understand addiction a little bit better and realize that that person's hurting as well. And they don't really want to be doing it either. It's they're they're stuck and, and, and it can happen to anyone as well. You know, just because you don't drink that much now doesn't mean that you won't get there either. Alcohol is addictive and it can happen to you. So I think we just need to have this understanding that someone that is going through that, they don't want to be doing it either and don't take it personally. Um, But yeah, there there needs to be, I think, more understanding about, yeah, just addiction in general. Yeah. And dismantling, I guess the whole idea of why we drink is what you said before, the reasons we're yeah. doing it and that it's seen as glamorous and fun and it's the good thing. It's the thing yeah, to do. until it isn't though. Yeah. You know, like it's funny how we, we have this society where we absolutely love the person that can drink the most. Like anyone who can drink me under the table, like they're a like mad dog. But then when that person drinks too much and becomes an alcoholic, all of a sudden we shun like, them. Oh, and no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. 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 And it's just so weird that we're literally skating this very thin line where we want people to drink the absolute most, but only on our terms and, you know, when it's safe to do so or like, you know, when it's an appropriate time and just absolutely shun someone when they become an alcoholic, even though we've pushed them as a society, we've pushed them to that limit anyway. That is so true. That, yeah, that's really, really true. So what does the future look like for you now? What do you say in your future in the next five years when you look into your crystal ball? Mm, well, if I ever get to leave my house, um, <laughs> you know, I, um, I definitely hope to be doing more stand-up shows. That's, you know, that was kind of what we were going to be doing this year, but that has not turned out. Um, but yeah, I do see myself doing more, uh, of this, like, I guess, talking about addiction. I never, ever thought that that would be the case. And it, ironically, I used to think that I needed alcohol for my career. I thought it was so important. Um, 
and it's funny that now that I've quit drinking, I've sort of become a sober role model and people are constantly wanting to talk to me and get my story. I really see that I could be doing this and helping other people for quite a long time. And yeah, I'm really happy to do that for sure. Love that. Now, Bianca, with all my guests, I ask this as the final question. What oh would <laughs> what would the Bianca now tell the Bianca in her darkest moments where it all just felt very, very hard? Yeah, I I just wanna oh, I just wanna shake her for one, but I just wanna tell her like this isn't what makes you happy. Like just absolutely happiness is not from a bottle and it never will be. It's just, it's completely manufactured. I think if I knew that someone said, yeah, do you wish you got sober earlier? And it's not so much that I wish I got sober. I just wish that I knew how miserable it actually makes me as opposed to thinking it was the bee's knees. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that. Thank you so much. Loved no, that. That's fine. Awesome. I really enjoyed this too. <laughs> good, good. You, I've learned so much from listening to you. So really? I can't <laughs> wait. To, <laughs> I can't wait to get this out there and get people Aww. listening to it because I think there are so many people in that in between grey area where it's like, oh, it's not as you said, it's not too bad. I only do this every now and then, but it's you know, or I don't drink every day, so therefore I'm not an alcoholic, or I don't. Have oh a- yeah. So I always so. used to have these things. Like I remember one of my boyfriends told me that he would never drink alone because his dad was an alcoholic and his dad drank alone. So he was like, drinking alone is a sign that you're an alcoholic. And I was like holding on to that for so long. I was like, well, I'm not an alcoholic because I don't drink alone until I did. And then I was like, okay, well, no, I'm not an alcoholic because yeah, I don't drink before work. So that, you know, and then I did that. So like there's, there's yeah. no, um, you just keep pushing that boundary. And I think the thing is as well, the, the one point that I really want people to realize is that you don't have to let it hit rock bottom. You know, we, so many people get miserable from drinking and yet keep doing it because they're like, well, I don't, I shouldn't have to stop because I'm not an alcoholic, but you don't have to be an alcoholic to quit alcohol. You, you can stop at any time. And, and I really encourage people to do it, to give it a go and really just focus on, you know, um, Bex Weller, who we interviewed, she, she set herself a three month challenge and three months is such a good, a good time. Cause it's just, it's not going to be forever. It's just three months. And then at the end of the month, you can, you can assess that, but going through the motion and just removing it from your life for a little bit, just see what it's like. You know what a life with drinking is like. So try it without it and see what happens. I love that. And I'll put in the show notes your Insta handle as well in case anyone wants to reach out and ask you a couple of questions as well. No worries. Yeah. Thank you so much. Enjoy um, the rest of your day in ISO, not doing anything. (laughs) Yeah. This is what my life is like now. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much again. We'll chat very soon. Yeah. See ya. Thank you so much for listening to this chat with Bianca Thompson. You can follow her at It's Bianca Bitch on Instagram. I'll also include a link to her podcast, We Want to Be Better, where you'll find the alcohol miniseries along with the book she read that changed her life in the show notes. As always, you can connect with me at Elizabeth O'Neill. Lemonade is hosted, produced and edited by Little Old Me and it relies on your support to get it out there. So if you're liking what you're hearing, I'd be so appreciative if you could hit subscribe and five stars and leave a review. It helps boost the podcast and helps other people find it who perhaps really need 
to hear this kind of content. Also, if you like this chat, I'd be so appreciative if you could screenshot it and upload it onto your social media and tag both Bianca and I. I'll be back on Thursday with a 30th birthday edition of the Midweek Squeeze. Thanks so much, guys. Stay safe. See you then. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.